Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Family Recovery Projects podcast. Join us every week to hear about our mission, why we do what we do, and how we can help your family navigate through the turbulence of getting treatment for a loved one. Stay tuned. Hi there, and happy Sunday afternoon, and happy Easter to those of you who are celebrating today. So we are broadcasting a little bit early today because we are coming off of spring break and we figured everyone would probably have um, Easter plans today and this evening and Frank does too. So we decided to go ahead and do a quick broadcast. We're only going to be on for half an hour today just to talk a little bit about um, holidays and, and kind of what the holidays mean. And how basically that's that it, it, you know there's a big family get together, and in some cases um, it may be the first time that your family has all been together since you either found out that your child has been using, um, or you have your child in some kind of treatment, and you are faced with how to handle that with your extended family if, if you haven't already. So, so I'm going to bring Frank in so he can chime in. Hi, Frank. Are you there? Yes. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you today? I am doing well. How are you? Huh? Doing good. Um, getting ready to be with the family as you were talking about for uh, our Easter celebration as it were today. So um, I think it's a great topic for us to kind of broach today for, all of our listeners, so uh, a great intro, and I'll, I'll let you finish. We had a couple more things to say before I chime well, in. The one thing that just popped into my head when you were talking about going to spend time with family. So, how would you say that has changed from when your son was, you know, early on in treatment and kind of going through that process to today, where it's six years later and you know, essentially the cat is out of the bag and everybody knows what's going on. What would you say are some of the biggest changes you've seen happen over the years? Well, it was, you know, it was slow. I mean, you know, initially, uh, I think that it was really, it was extremely hard in the beginning because we never knew what was going to happen. Um, And as we were talking earlier, I mean, even just bringing up the idea that we were getting ready to plan to have uh, you know, people that were connected together, it just created so much anxiety. Yeah. Um, I, you know, on both sides, I mean, and I don't mean to make, mean to say that we're battling, but in a sense trying to make things fit together. Um, you know, I think that one of the things that I did, um, and I think a lot of us instinctively do, is is we, we reach out when we find out our, our children are, are you know, using drugs and, uh, you know, letting it kind of take control of their lives as we reach out to family members. And so my safety net initially wasn't with treatment people uh, and specialists. It was with my family. So when they would call and say, well, are you, are you coming, um, you know, to mom and dad's house? My, you know, my folks are still alive at the time. And, and, and it was kind of, it was really difficult because of the kind of pressure because it was kind of like, and uh, what's your other question? Do you think that my son is mm-hmm. going to behave, behave or so then my mind would start tripping and doing that, uh, you know, thinking about those kinds of things instead of just thinking about, you know, what food I'm bringing and, 
you know, depending upon what holiday season it was or what holiday, whether it was a birthday or, you know, something major, you know, like Christmas and things that we celebrate, um, it, it was really, really tough. And then I, as time went on, he got really good at being able to kind of like camouflage himself and fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, even though I know that when I turned my back and he would disappear outside a door somewhere, I was, I was always like really kind of like uh, mistrustful, you know, kind of what's he up to now? I know he's out there doing something because I, I wasn't into doing body searches before we, we'd show up someplace. Right. Um, but it, but it was really tough. I think that as time went on, um, he was able to, as he, as he regained his ability to interact with, not only with, you know, us as immediate family, his extended family, he was, you know, more outgoing and able to deal with that situation because I know that it was really, really uncomfortable for him. I think the problem that I had, Jackie, was that, you know, for the most part was when I was looking for help at that time and still am looking to put together a body of work together with you to help families that are in this situation is that the majority of information that's out there is not written for us. You know, we have right. to kind of like decipher the code by reading about the articles, and there's millions of them, the six tips to stay sober this weekend during the holidays, uh, to try to figure out how we fit in to the system and the paradigm by reading. Um, and, 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 and to be very brutally honest, the majority of those articles are written by people that work at or own or do have some association with treatment you know mm-hmm. they're not really they're, they're written for the for the addict because it's like uh, not to name names but it's the abc treatment center and then um you know uh, dwg treatment center here and here and here and here and they you know they just post and they post and they post and there's an element of the you know, SEO or, or search engine optimization and algorithms and all that stuff now that's influencing that free information that's out there. Um, but they're really, like, I, I would, like, search and search and search and look for that one article and say, this is what families can do together. And, I mean, there are so few and far between that, you know, we pretty much through association with family and parent groups, that's kind of where the work is being done today. But mm-hmm. not, not every treatment center has family programs either. So I think that, you know, just to kind of you know talk to our listeners a little bit about the fact that this information is not easy to come by. Uh, because if anything, they're gonna, we're, we end up being a footnote and we end up being what's called, quote, unquote, support for recovery. Mm-hmm. Meaning that if anything does go wrong, we might be held accountable for it because the system still continues to, disavow their accountability based on either that it's a disease model or it's a character flaw. And so regardless of how our, our children act, it doesn't have anything to do with them. It has everything to do with us. Right. And I just remember, like I was, I've said it before, I like, it's like you're out, we're on an island out there and you just kind of are waiting for that supply boat to show up every once in a while to give you something to work with. Um, but for the most part, we have to build our own shelter and we have to build our own way of navigating that process. And so it, it, it definitely changed uh, now that he's you know, got six years uh, past his treatment and is doing well. It's very normal now to call back again and, or call, you know, my son and say, hey, we're, we're having uh, dinner at 2 o'clock. And, okay, so I'll, I'll be there. I'll talk in it. Just kind of just 
it's not exactly the same, but it, it, it's more like it was before because most of the parents that I talk to, that's their one lament. If I could just turn back the clock, if I could just make things the way they were before. But right. that doesn't happen without work. <laughs> mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen without work. And, and, and I know that you probably had a lot of parents that were asking you questions, uh, probably me included, if I, if I don't remember, but I'm like, how, how am I going to handle Christmas this year? You know, I mean, um, you know, I mean, what, what would be not your standing advice, but how do you get people moving along when you know there is an information gap there? Um, yeah, I mean, it's so it's so different for different people. I, I know a lot of times we would talk a lot about um, kind of what we talked about a few weeks ago, expectations. And right. this is a situation where um, I think it is, you know, when it, when it comes to spending time with family and these get togethers where you may be seeing people that you haven't seen for a long time. And I think we get into such routines with that and everybody starts to kind of fit into you know, everyone has their own dynamic with each other and you just get used to that dynamic. And then all of a sudden you're faced with, um, you know, the first Christmas where you're, you're concerned about, you know, your uncle who drinks the whole time and how that's going to affect your kid who may have, you know, 30 days sober. Right. So suddenly there's this new this new dynamic that has come into the picture that not everybody else is, is aware of, you know, and a lot of times the conversations I would have with families and with the kids in these situations was, you know, it's not our job to get everybody around us to act how we want them to, even though that would be nice, you know, ultimately, but it's our job to try to set it up in a way that, we have things we can do if we start to feel tempted or, um, you know, just squirrely and and anxious and upset and um, stressed out, any of those things. So what I would, I would recommend for both the parents and for the kids was make sure you have an outlet, you know, make sure you have a back door somewhere that you can go where you can take a breath and take a moment or, you know, make a deal with a friend who understands what you're going through that you can call them during the day if you need to, and just kind of vent and and get it all out. And, um, and, and a lot of what I would tell parents is, you know, because, you know, people react very, there's kind of two different things that, that parents would go through. They would go through this, like, you know, well, my kid can expect everybody to treat him differently and he needs to suck it up and deal with it. And this is family and family is important, which is true. And then there would be the reaction of my family needs to act differently because of what's going on with my child. And if anybody messes with him, they're going to have to deal with me, you know? So there was this like offensive, (laughs) you know, like they were on the, the defense from the beginning and, um, and so that, you know, it, it's, it's important to think about those things and through like, okay, so I think points valid. So no, it's not your job to everything they're doing to make it. But it's 
you know, you, you also make sure that you're having some compassion with your child because, yes, they did make choices about that to this place. However, they made the choice to change and, you know, stop drinking and being in a situation like can be very scary for them. So how can you, how do you, think you can support them and interact way with your family about it as well. Because the other thing that would come up was, you know, a lot of people would be embarrassed and not want their families to know and maybe hadn't even told them what was going on with their child, you know. So, right. so there's all kinds of different things that can make the outcome of those situations very different. But I think kind of bottom line, it's, it's going in with a plan, you know, and going in with um, – with a commitment to be go easy on yourself and go easy on the people around you and not um, expect everybody to treat you differently or treat your kid differently and just to do the best you can. You know, I, I said in the description, we'll talk about, um, you know, some of the can arise and what you do to relieve some of the pressure or how to apologize and forgive well the next day, because sometimes yeah. that's, that's all you can do, you know, is, is the next day go, okay, I'm to forgive my dad for what he said. And I need to apologize to Aunt Susie because I snapped at her. You know, if you did the best that you could now just learn from the things that you didn't feel so good about and move on. Um, well, but either well, way, well, I think I had, it. Oh, go ahead. I, was gonna say, I, I know that when, when my son was high initially, um, it seemed like things were smoother, but it was, things were still secret, you know, even inside right. of our own, in, in terms of it being in our immediate family. And one of the things that, you know, that we're kind of told initially was that you can't help in recovery if you're going to, if you're going to maintain secrets. And so, you know, like you said, once the cat is out of the bag um, and I would talk to my sister or, you know, a brother or cousin or whoever I trust, um, that that would kind of have this seepage. It would kind of leak out and kind of get out there into your your you know your group that you want to hang out with that time. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 they may say things. They may say things either inadvertently. But I think the one thing that I always remember was just was just the stress. Um, you know, of like wondering if apologies were even going to be needed. Um, right. I would even rest about asking my son to go someplace because he might say no. And to right. me, I was like, well, if he doesn't show up with us, then everybody's going to know that he's out getting high somewhere. I mean, but but I don't, I didn't know, I didn't know that. Right. I mean, he might, he might have been choosing it because he, as he was maybe had that 30 to 45 days clean, he just didn't want to be in that situation. And it wasn't the first year. I, I want to say it was probably the second, maybe even during the third year, that he could actually come up to me and say, "Hey, Dad, um, if I if I choose not to go at the last minute, it's not because I don't love you and I don't love my family, but I don't want to get trapped right now." And I, right. and I had to, I had to learn how to accept that message from him and being something that was genuine and that I had to support, you know, so that, right. yeah. so, so that he could have his space to continue moving forward and me not forcing him into, well, we always go together, you know, that kind of thing. And I, you know, so parents can be kind of 
just as stuck in wanting that, you know, white Christmas uh, type of, uh, you know, Hollywood you know, romantic image of how families get together and we all hug and kiss and everything and say goodbye. And, um, you know, those things are, 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 are for, for, were for a while for me, they were an impossibility. And yeah. I carried that with me from one holiday to the next, to the next, to the next. So it seemed like for the first two to three years, I was always preparing for a holiday to come uh, by talking about it prior and then living through it and then talking about it afterwards. Yeah. And it, it, it just took so much energy and time in terms of those expectations that you were talking about. Um, you know, I don't believe in lowering expectations to the point where you don't have goals. Um, but ultimately, if, you know, our children accept the premise that they do need to do things different in their life, they're going to, they're going to draw lines in the sand where, they're, they feel good about it. And it's important for us to understand those li- why they're drawing those lines um, because we can sabotage their ability to be able to think for themselves. Um, but, that, you know, that, that, that whole secret aspect of it was something, you know, about walking in. And it's not true, but you feel like when you walk into a room, unless you're the first people there, that everybody turns around and looks at you mm-hmm. just because of the stigma that we carry. Um, and, and like I say, you're you're generally safe, um, but there's always there's always a judger and a hater maybe inside of a family that's always out of their way to let you know how bad a parent you are. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's just it, it's just that, that dynamic. I mean, the, the matrix putting that together is just so vast. Um, yeah, it could be it could be that they had a bad day. Maybe they had an argument with their you know significant other or you know whatever's going on in their life. And they need to prop themselves up by making somebody else feel bad. And, and we're easy pickings uh, if you know, if it's not a secret anymore. And I, I just think that families need to be aware that there's, you know, to stop trying to mind read and stop trying to predict a bad outcome uh, because that's kind of where we live our lives until we kind of regain a little bit of confidence that our child is, make, is making better choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I don't, and I don't even know that people are even aware that they're doing it. Um, you know, when I lost my son, my 12-year-old son, I mean, you know, I and this is not to digress, but when they would come up and say, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, about your son, but he's in a much better place. And I used to think, don't tell me that, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, son, my son's place is with me. And that, it's just an example of how people, like, try to make comments to you to make you feel better when in actuality – it doesn't have any basis in where you're at. Right. Um, it's kind of to make themselves like feel better about trying to help you in their own way and to be open enough to be able to accept that comment without judging it. Um, there are the haters that come, will come up to you and just say, well, have you, what have you done? Have you taken his privileges away or you know, you're doing those kinds of things? Those are, those are the, you know, the tough love advocates that are out there and there, there are many. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I just think that, that that stress makes us think about things that um, really make it difficult for us to enjoy just the time being together. And even if it is only a couple of hours where you have a truce or, you know, kind of a, a little bit of peace, I, I just think you should just stay in the moment. And if your child needs to go out that back door, let him go. Um, yep. You know, but, but it was hard for me because, like I said, I was just so suspect about what he was out there doing. 
Yeah. Um, he was probably outside smoking a cigarette and we're doing right. whatever he did to do to relax. But I'm thinking he's probably trying to like figure out a way to get away from here to go get high. And then my attitude would change. Uh, my association and, and interaction with my family, my immediate family and my extended family or friends would change. Um, and then a lot of times I would come out of those situations and think I did that to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I knew my kid going in had issues with drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I was always looking through the lens of, of information and articles and <clears throat> excuse me, white papers and everything that were written for my son and not for us. And I, I think right. that's my biggest gripe about, you know, those six years of, you know, the intensity of treatment. Yeah, and I, I also, you know, as you were talking through all of that, I was thinking about um, how it, it just, for whatever reason, it brings up, you know, situations like that can intensify everything. You know, um, it, it, it can just, I know for me, it would feel, I, I would feel so much less in control of right. anything, you know, anything that was going to happen, any interactions, because there were so many more people involved and, you know, then there's the family dynamics and, and all of the things that come along. But again, I think we just get so used to, we don't stop and think about anymore. And right. because of that, because I would feel even more powerless than usual, I would almost want to double down and, and be, feel like I needed to be more in control of everything and everyone. And, um, and that just, I mean, that just creates so many more problems than, (laughs) than it solves. And, and it really did help me when I started to go, you know what, I just can't, I can't control anything. I can't control what any of these people think. I can't control what any of these people do. Um, the only thing I can control is what I do. And, and even sometimes it feels like I can't control that. So I'm just going to relax and, you know, (laughs) do what, do the best that I can, you know, and I was just, I was thinking about that today as, as there might be people listening who are currently spending time with family or are going to, or have already that, you know, we, more than anything, you know, we could, we could sit and discuss all the different scenarios and tips and tricks and tools and things you can do to, um, you know, make, make these situations a little bit easier to, to stomach. But ultimately I think what we're saying more than anything is, you know, we're here and we understand and we've been there and, Right. You know, we're we're standing we're standing in solidarity with you as you get you know get through your day. So yeah, and then in terms of just being support, I think that you know when if if I were in a support group where everything was negative, I mean, I, it took me a while to figure out a way to be able to cut those ties. And I want to make sure that people understand that you know what we're about and what the Family Recovery Project project is about is to be here in a positive way. Um, and mm-hmm. not, not to judge, uh, mm-hmm. because until until we hear somebody's story and what they're going through, we can't put ten things together that are going to cover the eleventh through eightieth thing that they're dealing with in their life at that moment. I think it's unrealistic, and right. and I think it's uh, 
it's a disservice. I, I, and again, it's by living through that and having lived through that process that I think that, you know, the, the best support that I had uh, at times with either was the sponsorship or whatever, where people would be willing to listen and then just kind of help you figure out what's going to be the best to get you through that day. And then the mm-hmm. next day, mm-hmm. in, a of, in a large extent, we're like our addicts and that we do, we do have to take it a day at a time. Yeah. You know, when we start, when we, when we go on to the expectation and if we have a bad holiday or birthday or wedding or whatever we go through, it pre it predisposes us to look for the bad that's coming up in the next one, as opposed to working on understanding what happened on that day and then doing something different. That's going to change the outcome the next time. And I've said it before, but I've been, I, you know, I go to, I still go to meetings, but I, 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 I can, I can walk in and I can tell that people are going to say the same thing that I heard six months before. Right. And I don't, I don't, I don't feel pity. I feel like what can I tell them or share with them to support them in a way that's going to get them unstuck. Yeah. Um, but again, resources are limited. I mean, I was doing some more research this last week and um, you know, out of the, you know, approximately 500 billion is spent for, you know, all types of drug activity here in the United States. And that includes, you know, payment to treatment centers and, you know, the, uh, you know, the police and uh, all the agencies involved and, you know, prisons and everything else. I mean, it's a huge number, but when you, when you, when you look at that, I mean, the consensus is that less than two cents out of every dollar is spent on, 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 on treatment and intervention. And mm-hmm. that includes the addicts and, 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 you know, given what I talk about, we're getting a fraction of a fraction of that as families. Right. Um, so it's important to, to, to understand that there are people out there that have lived through it and do understand. Um, and even if it's just somebody to talk to, that, to listen to what the worries and, and stress points are to help get through that, that those are the, those are the people that families need to look for and stop reading articles that are written by treatment centers designed to sell treatment at a time of high stress and mm-hmm. a time of, of fear um, and anger to get your child or your loved one into treatment at that time. I mean, it's, it's about selling product too. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to be blunt and indict the system that way, but it's a perfect sales opportunity for them because they know that we need help today. Right. Um, and so, you know, I would just say as you as you go through and look at those 70 million things that come up, go through 10 pages and count how many are written for families. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're going you're gonna to end up way down the search engine somewhere finding out something that you're going to be able to use unless you're willing to adapt writing that's written for, you know, somebody that's abusing drugs and then you're trying to fit yourself in there because that's all that's there. And, and that's not what we're about. Um, and that's not what family and integrated family recovery should be about. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to, I just want to stress that today because we live with holidays. We live with special occasions. Right. Um, we were talking earlier, even if it's just going down to have dinner, um, it, you know, it, it filters itself and, 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 and seeps into our normal day life where, I mean, we we're afraid to even ask our children to go and have, you know, a, a, a bowl of pasta with us somewhere because we don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to sit there wondering, I bet he's high, but he's, I bet he's been using or she's been using or, you know, just smell like alcohol. And, you, and it just ruins your life. 
Um, right. It takes over, it takes over your ability to be able to have any kind of happiness or any kind of hope. Um, so you know when 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 our supporters are reading those types of articles, stop and go find mm-hmm. something else that's written for you uh, to help you, or talking with somebody, or finding a speaker that is giving you a message that you know doesn't hold you on the periphery and make you just a support leg for a multi-billion dollar system that doesn't have your, you know, have your best interests at heart. Right. Um, and, I, and I think that's more than anything, I, I would like people to take that away today. Um, you know, it's just that, that cautionary tale because uh, I love yeah. that. Yep. And I think, you know, I think um, awareness, can be super important in these situations too. So like you said, you know, finding um, some kind of outlet for yourself and some place where you can go just to talk to somebody, if it's a counselor or if it's just a friend or somebody you can go have coffee with and just talk through, you know, I'm going to be around my family tomorrow or this situation is happening and, and understanding your own reactions and the stuff that's going on within you can really help to take anxiety and fear out of um, situations like this because all of a sudden you have this new understanding of the things that you may be doing to that are just causing things to be a little bit harder for you. So we are running out of time, but I'm glad that we did get to get together and do this today, Frank, and I hope that you have an enjoyable Sunday with your family. And everyone else out there that's listening, we, we wish the same for you. And as always, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us at Jacqueline or Frank at the recovery project, family recovery project.com. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Jacqueline.